Hello and welcome to the episode four of the Miyazaki Countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm your host Scott Harvey and I'm joined as always by the Countdown crew Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today on the podcast we're exploring a forest of wonders in our review of Miyazaki's iconic 1988 film My Neighbor Totoro. But first, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well, Scott. I think we made the mistake of letting Scott Shelton talk to us before we started rolling because now I have a certain song from a movie we might be discussing soon stuck in my head. You have Hey Let's Go stuck in your head, sorry. <laughs> I'll make the rules. Um, but I'm doing well, Scott. Uh, first week at a new job. That's been fun. We can talk more about that offline, but I work in Yeah, Canada are you working at Studio Ghibli? Is that where you, is that where your new job's at? <laughs> you know, that'd be fun, but a little less up my alley. Yeah, no doubt. People can't see right now, but Jay is doing a full cosplay as uh, the the pig guy from uh, Porco Rosso as the yeah. pilot right now because he works at Studio Ghibli and that's what they make you do. So. Mm-hmm. A character that I have never seen, by the way, because I still haven't seen. I, I haven't Rosso. seen that movie either, but I don't yeah. know. That was just I've the seen the poster. I've seen head. the poster for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. Posters can be misleading. Something something I'll touch on when we talk about this movie. Scott Shelton, how are you? I'm very curious what you what you mean by that, but okay. Are you just saying because the shot and the poster is not in the movie? Is that what you're saying? No. Um, okay. But it is in the movie, isn't it? No. Not to, well, it depends on what it's poster we're talking about. I was going to say, there's more than one poster. We it depends about on what poster. <laughs> Look, I'm just oh, looking okay. at a, po- a right. Japanese poster for the movie right now on my screen, and this specific shot is definitely not in the movie. Um, okay. I don't. I don't think. At least. I'll, I'll I've only it. ever seen, I think, the, the bus stop one, which obviously isn't the movie, so... Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, we are recording this slightly later than anticipated. I remember last week we got out of recording. I like the same night then proceeded to rip off my neighbor Totoro. And I was like, we are so back. Here we go. Slight delay on the recording. But there's a non insignificant chance that I would get off this recording tonight and rip Kiki's delivery service. And I'm gonna be like, we're so back again. We're still back. Uh, yeah, look, Jay, I think Jay sort of alluded to it last week about this being like a big a big run not to not to downplay castle in the sky because obviously i'm a huge fan of that movie and i would include castle in the sky in the big run that we're on but we are deep in it now i'm so locked in ready and frankly guys also this cannot be underemphasized but i have tickets to the boy and the heron in a week and a half and alice tilly hall at the new york film festival and i could not be more jazzed for that i'll tell you that much yes scott you're jealous it's okay it's okay I'm not going going, either, Scott, if that makes you feel better. I I will be sticking to the strict, linear version of time we're working with through this countdown. Look, friend friend of the podcast, Paulo Yama, I somehow not very difficultly managed to convince him to fly to New York to come to the New York Film Festival. (laughs) And we're seeing the creator on Friday night segueing into six movies at the Film Festival Saturday and Sunday, one of which is Boy in the Heron. So he's literally just in LA doing nothing. So I'm sure he was waiting for you to ask. Well, I was, was joking. I mean, I, it was came up as like half a joke. Like, oh, you're just gonna let, are you gonna come watch Boy in the Heron, or are you not gonna come watch Boy in the Heron? He was like, he was like, yes. He yes, was I like, uh, are you serious? And I'm like, I mean, I'm not not serious. <laughs> and then we let it rip. So there we go. This well, you know what? Rap. You guys have fun. Okay, I'll be watching. Uh, I don't know the Marvels or something. The what Marvels out in a few weeks. <laughs> you're getting the Marvels a, a month early. You got, you, got the <laughs> you think I know what the release date is for that movie? You think I care? <laughs> you think I anyway. care? Well, why did anyway, you, if you didn't may, care, Scott, why did you think of it? That's all I'm going to say. Maybe I'll, I, I do think I'm going to get to watch the Pedro Almodovar uh, short film. That's kind That is going to come to my indie theater in a couple Strange of Strange way of life. With, yeah, Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. So that okay. should be cool, I guess. But yeah, it's so I'm doing no, great. Uh, We're back hitman or whatever else you're gonna watch but um anyway we're gonna talk about an old movie today guys we're gonna talk about um as mentioned our film uh 1988's my neighbor totoro a departure from the action adventure thrills of castle in the sky my neighbor totoro is a genteel fantasy film set in 1950s japan where college professor tatsuo voiced by tim daly moves to the countryside with his young daughters Satsuki and Mei, voiced by sisters Dakota and Elle Fanning, in order to be closer to the hospital where his wife is currently residing, ailing from an unspecified illness. Upon arriving in their dusty new home, Satsuki and Mei are entranced by small dark spirits that live in the house. 
Exploring the forest around their home in the days to come, Satsuki and May discover that it holds even more mysteries too, including a large cat-like spirit known as Totoro, which May believes is a character from one of her children's books. Over the course of the summer, Satsuki and May's ad adventures with spirits continue, and they'll soon find that these spirits may even be a comfort to them in times of high emotion. And that's about all there is to describe about Miyazaki's famously no-plot, all-vibes classic. But Jay, we'll start with you. Does My Neighbor Totoro's wondrous atmosphere and look at childhood curiosity overcome what it may lack in the story department? I mean, I think no plot, all vibes is a perfect way to describe it. And I think the vibes are stellar. Like, there's no there's no reason to downplay this. And I will say, I really, I didn't know what this movie was going to be about at all. And like the answer might be like nothing, right? But well, the, okay, okay. There may not be much that happens in the film, but the film is about quite a lot in yeah, my opinion. But sure, we can I agree with that. that. Sure, sure. But I tell you that, that I, I feel like I was faked out a couple of times. Maybe I was just overthinking it, trying to guess what was happening so the very first scene i think the first scene in the movie right is them in the moving truck like on their way to their new home and the girls are like playing around they look out the window and then they're like you know duck back in and then they say hi to you know this person who's cycling by and they were like oops i thought that was a cop and i'm like sitting there like are we on the run like what kind of you know sick thing is this obviously i rode in the back like in the trunk as a kid but i just blanked i'm like this is miyazaki this has got to be something more and then we get to the house where, you know, we're kind of seeing the, the soot sprites moving around and the tone is a bit ominous. And I'm like, this is going to be some sort of horror film. And the Totoro is going to be some like scary spirit that they'll eventually befriend. This is going to be like super dark. And like none of my initial impressions were right. Right. Like it just, you know, I think after, you know, is it maybe like half an hour, like the vibes start to kick in and it just, it's so, it was so simple. And it was just, it was just fun. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, it was, you know, I, I was just watching it. And I'm like, I could watch this for like a while, but it was only like an hour 40. It blipped right by and hour it was four? just full. Did you get an extended version? This movie's like an hour and 25 minutes. You're saying, do I want an extended version? This film's Jay, only Jay, just listen, Jay listened to the song like five no, times. You that's how, that's why it was an hour 40. You said it was an hour 40 and the movie's like less than 85 minutes. Sure. I, I might have misremembered. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of Kiki's tomorrow. In any case. Um, hour 40. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it just, it had so much heart, you know, emotion, again, beautifully drawn again. It, like, you know, it, and like you said, or like I was saying, the vibes were immaculate. Nothing but praise to heap on this one. Almost nothing but praise to heap on this one. Oh man! See now you got, you end your end your thought like that, and you just. Gotta I like, know, oh, I know. Fine. I didn't mean to. Oh, I, I, that, I, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't. I just. I just didn't want later when I bring up my one complaint that it sure. like be like you said this was perfect. Like you said, you think cat bus unrealistic. That's your complaint. Like couldn't not real. Dude, Everything I almost else. fell off We're my good. couch when the cat bus showed up. Like just completely out of nowhere. Like sure. what? I guess very much in tone with what's happening, but like also not Certainly. at all. Like well, low key. Go ahead. Low-key, one of the funniest moments of any sure. Miyazaki movie, probably when the cat bus shows up for the first time, Totoro just hops on, it flies away, and then we just get the shot of the girls just standing there, at the, and it's just completely silent. And, and he their keeps face their like, what the yeah, F just yeah. happened? <laughs> it was so funny to me this time around. I don't uh, know why Scott, you gotta limit it to Miyazaki film. It, it, it might have been one of the funniest yeah. scenes in a film, just period. Like, I, I know. almost fell off my couch. Just do you nowhere, like the leaf? Really. I mean, he's also wearing a leaf as a hat. I mean, sure. dude's vibing. It's fashion, baby. Yeah. Uh, Scott, obviously, you've seen this one before. Thoughts on this rewatch? Yeah, I mean, this is honestly one of the first, I mean, I, I'm going to say this, probably like a lot of people who aren't in doing a countdown format of Miyazaki movies, this very well could be the first Miyazaki film that you watch because i mean sort of like we say like the great animated movies in in life are ones that both appeal to kids and adults and i think this film especially is very easily consumable for children i i definitely heard like a lot of like movie podcasts that are like what like answering the question of like what is the first movie you show your child and like this is commonly brought up as like something you can show your child as you introduce them to movies because it's very cute. It's very adorable. Like the whole idea of like, you know, Disney making movies to sell plush toys 
in their, in their like parks division or whatever is like kind of this is what that is except obviously Miyazaki's not doing this to sell like a plush Totoro toy but that is kind of the vibe right like it's this sort of iconic figure who's like literally part of the studio Ghibli logo now and he comes in and I every time I rewatch this movie I forget that like he's not really in the movie that much like they're like ultimately the spirits aren't in the movie very much obviously the most iconic images of the film is definitely at the bus stop with Satsuki and you know with May on her back holding the the pink umbrella next standing next to you know giant towering Totoro standing in the rain and I just think that everything that Jay said there like the vibes being perfect like I I was already feeling it when I logged off of the podcast last time out and then locked into the movie. I was like, this is, this is the vibe. This is what we are going for. And the vibe simply delivered. It's just, it's one of those things where even more, I think probably more so than any other Miyazaki movie is the film on the first watch. I was like, I don't get it. It's kind of boring. Seems like it's not, there's nothing really going on. And this is, I mean, and this, again, this is one of the first movies that I saw from his, from his oeuvre and early on before I was like even super into movies. And I'm like, uh, you know, I like a friend of mine was interested in watching the movie. We watched it together and I'm like, this is 80 minutes. So I'm like, not, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, well, there isn't really going on there. There's not really much going on there. And every time I've revisited the movie since then, when I have been more into movies and I think I've developed more of a personal sort of taste and preference for films, this film just sticks out as A, having, frankly, a lot on its mind, but also just an immensely enjoyable 85-minute hang with a couple kids. I mean, like we talk about on every episode so far, with kids who are innocent, who are clearly going through a very complicated situation that is not like explicitly laid out in the film, but can be picked up, of course, as the film goes on and plot and the plot develops. They are going through like a big transitional phase in their life, a, a type of phase that everyone I think experiences at one point or another for different reasons, right? They've moved out into a new area, into the countryside. Their mother is very sick um, and their father is having to commute extremely long distances and they're having to sort of rely on sort of the pastoral nature of, uh, and culture of the area with support from neighbors and you know there's just there's a really sort of open-hearted as there is with a lot of music movies there's, but there's a really open-hearted sort of vibe in this movie that is idyllic in a lot of ways that is innocent and that is sort of nurturing and renewing and ultimately that's what i mean the totoro as like a, as like a forest spirit that all these sort of spirits sort of embody is sort of this period of renewal. And, you know, if you are able to sort of get into touch with nature and your spirituality, then that will return positive things as much as Nausicaa is about like a separation from the environment causing destruction, like greed and, and, and all these different other negative things causing, you know, environmental destruction. This is about like, sort of the opposite of that, where if you're able to connect with yourself and with nature, you're able to find positives in even the most negative situations, ultimately. And I just think that that's like a really beautiful thing. And the way the story is told allows that to be as important as you want it to be. Like, obviously, it's pro I think it's very important to the core of the film, but you can watch this movie and enjoy the time that you're having with these kids and and not think too much about that if you don't want to. But as I've gotten older, as I sort of myself felt like I've worked my way through transitional periods, not obviously the type that May and Satsuki are going through. I just find myself even this being like in some ways kind of a sad movie about these, about this family that is being separate, like has been separated from their mother because of an illness. It really is this sort of life, almost like sort of affirming, like heartwarming, affirming type film that you know a community um a spirituality can really be everything you need to pull you through hard times and i i, I think that it's a really remarkable film every time i watch it i like it more yeah this was also one of the first ones that i watched because you know it is pitched as that 
no plot all vibes which is very much in my bag as far as movies are concerned um and i think i had i wouldn't say i had the experience necessarily that scott was describing of watching it for the first time because i did enjoy the movie i still gave it four stars i think the first time but you know my general issues with these sorts of movies you know not being able to emotionally connect with something like a totoro for example is is one of my great flaws as a human being and um that prevented me from like love loving the movie like a lot of people he's um, anthropomorphic though yeah. kind of right yeah i mean sure i, I don't know it, the problems that i had last time kind of faded away on on this sure. rewatch like I, I i think i just locked in a lot more and like you said totoro is not honestly a huge part of the movie so i was able to you know view him as sort of uh, a machine for the the themes that the movie is trying to get across um and worry less about oh i'm supposed to like emotionally connect with this thing and be like oh he's so cute and you know all this type of stuff which i just i can't do but um I mean, I, I really enjoy the movie. Like, I think it's just delightful, honestly. And um, yeah, despite not much happening, it feels significant. It feels like a lot happens. And you're talking about it being a good movie for children. I mean, I think this movie is one of the most um, precise movies, like about the experience of being a child. Like you, you are like literally feel like you are just watching it through their eyes at many times in this movie. And um, you know, just the exploration aspect of it, you know, I don't play a lot of video games, but one of the types of video games that I enjoy is very specific subgenre called the walking simulator. And it's usually just people walking around exploring environments maybe discovering some sort of story along the way. This is a walking simulator in a movie form. And so for that reason, I, I'm very much uh, in the bag for it too. But anyway, yeah, it's about the, you know, these kids are just walking around. They're fascinated by, you know, the littlest things, these, these, you know, little spirits that we see in the house at first, you know, their dad's like, Oh, this is just dust gremlins. I think is what he describes them as, but that was the English um, translation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, 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 you know, that that childhood fascination of, well, is this just like a natural phenomenon that I've never seen before? Or is this is there something magical going on here? Um, and the movie doesn't necessarily. Isn't necessarily interested in answering that question. Um, it's more the fact that, you know, the kids see it as magical. They believe it's magical and that is important that can serve a purpose whether it's real or not and um you know the dad understands that too there's really only three characters for the most part in this movie i mean there's the granny there's the mom but um well, you know so you're Satsuki, completely leaving right? out totoro cat bus all the, all yeah the yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah um and so I, I mean yeah i just really i connected with the movie this time around you know, I, definitely all about the vibes here. It moves along really nicely. Like I said, there's a couple of funny moments. Sure. Um, and I think it's just a very vivid portrait of being a young child. And I love how it weaves in the, you know, real world stuff of their mom, you know, being sick, being in the hospital and them trying to, as, as children, again, as maybe not being able to fully process what that means, because I, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't actually know what the mom is suffering from, because it, probably the children have not been told, right? Like, you know, they, they don't want to worry them or, or whatever. I mean, it could be, it could be minor. I mean, you know, she, she comes home at the end, but like, you know, she's, if she's having to be committed to this hospital for a long period of time, it's, you know, possibly it's something more serious, but anyway, um, trying to to just deal with that idea as a kid um and and being separated from your parent for such a long time and being in this new environment um i, I just like you know i i think the reason that i love so many of miyazaki's movies despite them being quote-unquote fantasy movies is that um they are able to connect everything to that human heart um at the end of the day and i think my neighbor totoro is is no no exception um you know, again, the the to Totoro is, you know, a big 
giant cat-like thing that has been made into plush toys and every ma manner of merch that you could possibly imagine. But he also serves a purpose in the overall scheme of what this movie is trying to do. And um, that's the part of it that, you know, works for me. Um, yeah, you, so you talk about like whether it's magical it. or not, but I, I think, mm -hmm. and I certainly agree that the film's not trying to answer that question, but it's, I think it's almost more basic than that. It's almost like is, is these spirits, and it seems like so obvious to say, but like, what is the role of like spirituality? And I'm sure there's like a better word for it, but like, it's cause it's not quite religion, but it's like this oneness with like the, like another plane of existence almost. Right? That's like, like me. I mean, yeah. And, and the other plane is, is nature, right. Is the environment. Yeah. That's like Miyazaki's ethos. Again, like we sure. have talked about, like that is his religion. Out, yeah. That is his religion in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think like the actual like technical term is like, and like the idea of like animism, like these, the spirituality mm -hmm. that exists sort of parallel to our, to our world and Totoro as like a being as like sort of like, minor nature spirit is like certainly part of that right it's like the manifestation of that yeah and again that you know we've seen this come up and sure castle in the sky and of course in in nausicaa uh, yeah and, and, no, and notably yeah. this is again an obvious thing to point out but just to maybe feed the conversation only satsuki and may can see totoro right um and we will deal with a similar sort of thing in Kiki's delivery service of this sort of magical thing that can only be perceived by um, our heroine, but we'll, we'll get there yes. next time. That, th these two, those two films, I think are, are very much in conversation with each other, Mark Totoro and Kiki's delivery service. She's the only person who can see the dirigible. Lives era. No. I mean, one like <laughs> slightly I'm not going to call it heartbreaking, but a little bit of a sad thought I had while I was watching that house exploration scene the first time was like, this is so not like what kids are like anymore. Like, I well, mean, sure. Yeah. They're not watching TikTok. Sure. I mean, yeah, basically like, you know, we don't have to spend a ton of time on that, but it, there was such a sense of innocence with that. Right. That's like, you know, we're going to run around this house and see what's there. And can we find the back door? Like whatever it was like, yeah. you know, it like, the know, this is just yeah. not what kids are like anymore in my experience at least you know not like here obviously there sure. are a lot of things about like you know the society presented in the movie that don't feel like they resemble at least you know where i live in like new york city um or even other places i've lived what, the fact that there's like, grass and no, trees? But, like even if we think about like we went yeah. to school you know in a rural town and, like you know it, it still didn't but you're asking for the wi-fi password the second you get there exactly like you know <laughs> oh i had no bars on the whole right here like that that would be the first words that well, it's also the 50s so yeah, it is set in the fifties. No, yeah. of course. But you weren't asking in the fifties, well, yeah, Scott, right. when you were a kid, where the what the Wi-Fi password was. Weird. Okay. Anyway, we have to go back. I think you're right, Jay. I think I think we're right to go into to boomer mode here. Sure. Um, Just a little. Not a lot, but a little. <laughs> sure. Back in um, my day. Speaking of boomer mode, I felt old uh, hearing young Dakota Fanning and Elle Fanning's voices in this right. movie. Um, they're really kind of the only significant performances to talk about here, and, and not even so much because there's not a whole lot of dialogue in the movie um, at all. Um, but, I, you know, I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. What did you think about what they were able to bring, if you have any thoughts at all, about their voice performances here as our our two young young heroines <laughs> i don't feel like i could say a whole lot i feel like it's a little bit harder for me to comment on younger actors voice performances but ultimately like i thought they like fit the tone and the narrative of the story like i didn't find them annoying which maybe is sometimes the thing that happens if i'm listening to younger voice actors i thought um you know, like, I, I was very much with it. Like, you know, the, the highs, the wonder, and kind of the lows, especially, you know, later on when May gets lost and whatnot. Like, and, you know, when they're all upset about, you know, their mom potentially not coming home. Is she getting worse? What has happened? Um, I feel like that all carried through quite a bit. So nothing but good things to say. I mean, I would also shout out Tim Daly. You can't just leave Superman out like that. Sure. Like, you know, I mean, obviously doesn't, you know, necessarily say a whole lot, but... He's still Superman, so you know, shout out to him. I do wish I know I know we all watched the English version of this, but I really meant to go and see what the different 
or like compare the voice performances between the Totoro actors from the original version and this version. And I, I like, maybe that I'll do that once I hop off. I'm really curious to hear like how, what that sounded like, you know, in the original Japanese, like, you know, what that actor did uh, versus what Frank Welker did in this one. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, no, I mean, I talked about sort of being annoyed by the precociousness of, uh, Patsu of James Vanderbeek and the and uh, Castle in the Sky. I didn't have that that issue here. I, I don't, you know, know what it was. Maybe again, it was just the more stripped back approach to um, the the dialogue and everything. But um, even El Fanning, you know, who plays a very young, who who was very young and plays he was like literally six years old when they're recording this dub. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, sort of has a that high pitch loud young kid voice that like you know in nine out of ten times could come off as as irritating i don't know it just it it felt right i think the the docile vibes of the rest of the movie just kind of mellowed me out to where i couldn't even like you know feel a, a hint of annoyance at you know may sort of running around you know being louder than everyone else and just mm-hmm. kind of having the unadvanced behavior of a child, so to speak. But you know, Scott, any any uh, thoughts here? Yeah, big fan of the Fanning sisters in this, no doubt. I really think that May is such an like, even though she's the younger sister and is played by Elle Fanning, who this obviously wasn't her first role. Like, I think she did. Didn't she do some stuff like I Am Sam or some like Daddy Daycare? She like had some stuff right right before this that I think that that she had done, but obviously benefited from being, you know, it Hollywood child Dakota Fanning in the early 2000s. And they're like, well, there's two sisters. And they're like somehow Dakota Fanning and Elle Fanning are like pretty much the same age as the kids are in this in this movie. So we'll slot them right in. And I think that Elle Fanning, I think, is actually the performance that I sort of gravitate towards more and more as I revisit this film, because I think to your point, sort of what you're alluding to there, Scott, is she's able to like really come off like a four-year-old, but at the same time, like not in a way that makes you want to be like, God dang, this four-year-old's so annoying. I'm never having kids. (laughs) Even though, even though like you sort of just like think about this character on paper and you're like, well, May is like kind of annoying. She like literally ran off and caused this like massive, yeah Uh, so like search for her she's like being disruptive at home and like demanding to go see satsuki at school in the middle of the day and forcing granny to take her all the way to the school like she is she's able to be authentic like what feels like authentically like the annoying four-year-old you'd expect but somehow doesn't come off that way watching the film which i think really is you know maybe a marvel of the you know written character but also the performance because i think it's very easy to sort of strip towards uh, almost like overindulgence in the four-year-old cliches but l fanning avoids that dakota fanning i think gives up like pretty convincing sort of mature 10 year old performance like this this child who is sort of tasked with being responsible in a manner for her younger sister who is young young enough to I mean, that's always the trick with siblings, right? Like there's a six year gap between these two. Maybe that's far enough to not be so annoyed that you have this little sister, but at least in obviously American culture, I feel like, you know, the the fact like the older sibling having to be responsible for the younger sibling when they're growing up and just want to hang out with their friends. Like that feels like a common trope of like, like annoyed sisterly relationships, but clearly they've bonded together and, and Satsuki has taken on this responsibility with her mom being sick and her dad being very busy as I think presumably a professor. I think they might say it at some point, he's like a professor, right? At that, at college, yeah. something like that. And so, you know, she has a lot of responsibility and clearly has a lot of trust uh, from her father to carry out those responsibilities. So, yeah, I just think the performances are, are really great. Tim Daly. Yeah, for sure. He's, he's awesome. I think that the, one of the things that I love about the dad character, you know, the older I get, the more I, you know, not that I'm anywhere near being a dad yet, but the more I think about like, this guy's like probably like one of the best movie dads, right? This guy's like awesome. This dad's like really great. Yeah, there's like the scene where 
he's sitting there and he's clearly trying to work on something and like may keeps coming up to him i think she's like bringing the flowers or whatever she's like oh yeah. you're the flower shop dad or whatever yep. and like keep kind of bothering him but he like never gets irritated or says like hey yeah. you know he I'm probably should keep like a little bit better track of of her because then he like stops working yeah. like four hours Fair. later and he's like oh, i haven't seen her in hours it's like that's probably like a, <laughs> a tick against his, his his dad status but at the same time when i think about like how emotionally supportive he is of may and, and satsuki i'm just I just find it like so remarkable. Like that's like such a quality that I want to have one day. If like my kids are doing these like insert thing, it happens multiple times in the film. Like they're doing something, they're talking about Totoro. Like I saw Totoro, I saw Totoro, like for a spirit. And rather than just like poo-pooing it and slapping it down and be like, no, that's not real. He's just like, yeah, you might have, you might have. And maybe if we're lucky one day, we'll see him again. And like, that's sort of like, open heart that's like where like some of the big open heartedness of the movie comes from is the fact that this dad just like wants his kids to like embrace the experiences that they're having and is he the perfect dad probably not like he probably should keep a closer eye on what may is doing when he's working just because of the nature of the situation but he's relate like it's relatable like super sympathetic position that he's in he's juggling a lot and he's very supportive of them. And I just think that, you know, that's such a great quality and something that I want to emulate one day as a parent. And I know that that's probably gonna be pretty hard for me just because knowing myself and knowing my own tendencies about that. But, you know, I, again, another thing that I watch or that I pick up on or, or lock into when I'm watching this movie is like, that's like, that is a really cool quality that I know that I don't currently have that I want to have. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's something that I aspire to do as a parent to just sort of, that supportive vibe and whatever path the uh, you know the the children choose to to pursue, um, not not trying to force them in any particular direction. I think you're right. I think he's a he's an excellent movie dad in, in that regard. Even I don't have enough great movie dads. Attentive one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are the human characters. Of course, we also have the spirits, the Totoro. Um, the cat bus and all the other various spirits of the forest that we see doing a little dance and, and all that, um, all that jazz. Um, what did you guys think about the, the spirits, how they look, the role that they play in the story? Why do you think this is in the movie? And, you know, did it, does it work for you in the end? Man, my head's still spinning from all this talk about what kind of dad you guys are trying to be. Um, <laughs> I mean, I... Would you like to weigh in? You want to be bad dad? Of course not. Okay. Um, my head's Your significant other is probably listening from the other other room, right? <laughs> Even if they weren't, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I want to be a terrible <laughs> father. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I mean, I, I like the way these spirits look. Like, you know, I, I mean, we've talked about, you know, how beautiful the animation has been in all of these. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, we, when we saw... So there are the soot sprites first and then there are the Totoros. And then I think after we've seen them, we see the cat bus. And to me, you just like focus on the cat bus for a second. Like that, that's the one that felt more like quote unquote out of place. Like in terms of they wild and hang on, hang on. Like, like not in a, not in a bad way, but it's out of place. And like the other things just felt a little more fantastical. And now we just have a cat who's just like, you know, like skin just like drops down like a bus door and it, you know, now we're getting a little, uh, like, even more more fantastical, but also grounded a little bit more in realism because it's a cat now, not just some, like, you know, fuzzball or whatnot. Um, but, like, it worked. Like, again, I, I can't really explain why. Like, I, I would have a hard time, you know, like, why, why was it included that way? Like, I'm not sure. Um, you know, like, it's, it's not like we, for example, see cats, like, in some other way in the movie that convey to us like cats or something that are like regarded as like kind or helpful or that the girls think is cute and thus like this is meant to make them feel comfortable like you know that could be like one reason why it's a cat bus right but like you know and maybe there's something culturally there too like i, I don't know um but like you know whatever cultural whatever about a cat bus there's about cats oh i see i mean look like, cat cafes are like a thing in japan for sure yeah yeah, like I, I, I'm yeah. not as familiar, so like maybe you can speak to that. But uh, you know, my point is like, regardless of why it's there, it just it weirdly works. Like it's 
it's one of these things. I think if you tried to explain this movie to me before I saw it and told me these things, like uh, these types of spirits and these types of spirits, and then there's a, you know, a cat bus, like, I'd be like, this just sounds like, if you didn't tell me it was Miyazaki, right? I'd be like, this sounds really weird and gimmicky and whatnot. But, you know, uh-huh. like having seen it, experienced it, like it just, it just works. I don't even know how else to explain it. Yeah. I, I mean, look, that Totoro, I mean, everything, it's really easy to say all these things in hindsight, right? But like the fact that he's compared to like being as iconic a cultural character to Japan as like Winnie the Pooh is in like Great Britain, right? Like that's like a common cultural comp. And I think what's fascinating is that Totoro, yes, he's appeared in other, like this character has appeared in other media outside of this film. But like, it's not like Totoro was some like great manga or something that like already existed. Like Winnie the Pooh like had books like written about Winnie the Pooh and then it was like made into a cartoon and things like that, right? Like this is just something that, you know, Miyazaki just ripped, you know, straight out of his mind. I mean, I presume this was something that he did and this was, you know, talking about inspirations like May, I'm pretty sure the character of May is inspired by his real life niece when he was writing the film he based the younger child off his niece and created this character who he wanted his niece to sort of be comforted by, who has a sort of childlike innocence as a character. And yeah, of course the animation's like cute and, and warm and it gives off good positive energy and vibes that is going to be like welcoming and make you feel safe and secure. Like he's large and protective, but not in a, not threatening in the same way like all of these elements of the character that we can sort of sit here and try to describe but ultimately like you see this character and you see the way that he moves on the screen it's like very it's very slow and 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 methodical or not methodical but like slow and and lackadaisical and there's this there's this element of the character that sort of just is very relaxed very comforting very welcoming and when you see Totoro for the first time, when May goes uh, into the large tree near the shrine in the woods near the house, and she sort of falls on top of him and she's sort of playing with him. Like, obviously he's, you know, a quote unquote, like older and more mature being than May is, but like emotionally, isn't that different from May? And I think that's the way, like this idea of innocence and like pureness of the spirit is really important and I think that in terms of the characters themselves, Scott, you're sort of like asking what, I think you were sort of asking like what, not like what the purpose of the character is, but like what are they represent. And I think it just represents sort of an, an eternal innocence and purity and childlikeness that most humans seem to lose at some point, right? That you forget, that you drift away from. And I think Miyazaki, at least the way that I, think about the film and the way I've thought and the way that I sort of attribute things, it really feels like this is sort of this idyllic thing to aspire to in terms of how you look at the world and how you think about the world and how you interact with the world. And I think that the character and the animation is a big part of that. Cause obviously if you create like, just as a comp, like, I mean, people like monsters Inc. Right. But like, you you don't see Sully and you're like, man, this is a super welcoming monster that I want to like cuddle up to and makes me feel warm and welcome and safe. Right. Like maybe there's, maybe there's like some alt version that you could like create of that, that, that would work. But like, it just, it's, it's not like that, but I think Totoro just sort of immediately is like that. And, you know, the animation is a big part of that, the way it's rep- he's represented in the film and once like when you're actually animating the film is like that and and everything is sort of fine-tuned and designed around having this character be this this reminder for may and satsuki to like you know it's kind of okay to be a kid and it's okay to to be juvenile in a way that's not negative like it's fine to go outside in the middle of the night and like dance and try to will these seeds into like sprouting and growing into this massive tree that would take hundreds of years to grow that big. It's okay to do that. And I think it's important to not become disconnected from that. And I obviously we can't live 100% of our lives like that, but the more we can be reminded and the more this character can remind us that it's okay to like 
feel and think that way, I think is a, it, it's a positive thing. And I, that's what I sort of come back to every time I, I visit this movie. Yeah, I mean, I like that the Totoro specifically, and I mean, you know, you could say this about other spirit, the other spirits too, but there's like this element that we are familiar with combined with this element of that we're not familiar with, right? Like he's a cat, but his body is, you know, huge and, oh, he's large, but like that can be friendly, but it can also be like intimidating. Like there's yeah, all these sort of dichotomies going on here. Yeah. There, there's um, certainly some, if not tension, then like nervous yeah. energy in the bus stop scene out oh, in the yeah. rain. Like it's, it's not all. Quiet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And by the end of the scene, that tension is totally diffused. But it is there at the beginning. They're like, definitely is, because there's a there's a mysteriousness. There's a like Satsuki has not met Totoro before yet. He does she doesn't know exactly what he's like or what he'll do in this setting. And May obviously has, but she's asleep, right? Like she's not even awake when Totoro's standing by them. So it, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, again, we have a cat bus, right? Waiting for the bus. That's normal. Very That's a normal typical, part. Yeah. everyday, mundane task. But the bus this time just happens to be like a flying cat also. So, sure. um, you know, it, it's it's that sort of there's the magic in the everyday sort of thing, too. Which, again, we're going to see this in, in the next movie, too. But I really enjoy, um, you know, the that a, there's a movie like this juxtaposed against something like you know nausicaa or castle in the sky we have these entire worlds right that are just like these fantastical worlds no we're very much in the real world here but um there are just these sort of magical wondrous things that start happening um that are related to our everyday but are not you know something that we can create without our imagination so um I where do you think totoro was going on the cat the bus probably just going home after a long day of totoroing you know he's trying to get out of the rain i mean it's it's storming so um i don't know probably just to go have a nice cup of tea and and then you know go to sleep you don't think he's ripping... I know that's not an exciting answer but you don't think he's ripping a Sapporo or an Asahi Dry <laughs> at the bar with the with the Spirit Boys and going back to the going back to the Shinto Temple? Uh huh. It's it's certainly possible. I had not considered that that possibility. Sure. Maybe that's the director's cut that we have sure. not seen. But yeah, um, I guess you know the last thing I sort of want to ask. There's not you know a whole whole lot to talk about with this movie because uh, again of the lack of things happening, so to speak. But um, is sort of the legacy of this movie. We've, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but why is the, you know, the, this movie endures. It's one of Miyazaki's most iconic movies. Why do you guys think that is? Is it just because of the Totoro and this image that, like I said, has been, you know, shopped onto all sort of sorts of merch here and there? Um, or is there something else about the, the movie that makes it, you know, feel more timeless, feel more, essential and, and stick with people among Miyazaki's work if you had to you know speculate I guess all I can do is speculate because although I'm sure if you could you know make me limitless I could go back and think of all these times I've seen Totoro merch I honestly can't even really you know remember seeing a whole lot of this movie you know in just like day-to-day -day life but if I had to speculate like I think you know some of the some of the struggles and I guess periods of change that Scott Shelton, you were talking about earlier. Like, I feel like the, the struggles we see these young girls go through, I feel like are not, not only not unique, but timeless in nature. Like this is something that, you know, people just in some way, shape or form have felt like, you know, as long as we've been people. And I think, you know, it's a story that's told, quite beautifully, you know, drawn in a way, again, Scott, like you said, like just very warm, very inviting, good vibes. And I think that, you know, just reminding all of us, you know, who I, I guess, you know, whenever it happened, like we all presumably have grown out of some of that 
innocence or become more pessimistic or just less in touch with nature or spiritual side, however you want to define that. But I think that's something that, yeah, for the most part, we all kind of grow out of and this kind of, this movie just does a good job kind of pulling us back into that a little bit or just reminding us that again, you know, I'm just going to keep going to Scott, Scott, Scott. I feel like you said this so well, like I'm going to listen to this episode like twice once we're done recording it. Like, you know, it, it's okay to like lean back into that. And if you do, you know, good things might come of that. Yeah. It's obviously the, the film is taking attack to say that there's like, you know, material, measurable quantifiable things happening as a result of that but i think it's easily it's easy to interpret that also as a metaphor for like you're going to feel better and like it's almost like more it is an inward exercise right like the notion of feeling that way and expressing your emotions in that way yes it's showing the seeds sprouting and you're getting this sort of like extrinsic payback for that for the activity but like i think it's easy to translate that as you will feel better. Your mental health will be better. Like all those things, like you'll just be healthier. And it's almost like a lifestyle as opposed to, oh, if you do this, like something good will happen to you. And I know that's not what, I know that's what you're saying too, but it's like, it, it just feels very easy to translate in my mind when I watch the movie. It's like, you know. No, sure. I this is even... the thing that for the kids, it's, but it's obviously, it's so much grander than that. No, sure. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I'm a 27 year old. I wasn't even thinking of like, for example, sprouting the tree up sure, to like, sure. you know, that point it would take all that time to grow. Like I actually just was thinking of it like, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, just internally, esoterically. Yeah. There we go. Um, I wasn't thinking of any like physical payoff. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the, the iconic, I mean, obviously the character itself has endured because it was sort of adopted in the culture and sort of universalized within the culture. But I, I just do think that uh, there's something to say for the open heartedness of the spirit. Like I, I'm not going to pretend to be some like, you know, major key expert on Japanese film or Japanese animation. I'm really not, but I think this, there's a simplicity in this film and its presentation and its themes that make it really easy to, to access for all ages I think Jay said it well, these struggles are universal and will be experienced at all ages of life. And, you know, it's like, like some of the great sort of dramas, which I would not necessarily say this is one, but like, like many of the great sort of dramas in life, like it's able to endure and be universal in its timelessness. And whether you set this in 1950s Japan or whether you set this in 2022 us i think there's like a way to tell those stories where the experiences are shared and the connectivity to nature um is a conduit for this idea of like reconnecting and becoming healthier and preserving life and spirituality and i think that obviously the way this this movie was specifically presented in japanese culture like this idea of this very very idyllic pastoral setting that i think a lot of people when you think of japan like once you move past tokyo i think there is this association with this very sort of idyllic farm for like farm forward lifestyle that is very peaceful it's very like community focused it's not very individualistic i guess in other words i think that there is like a really strong gravitation towards like what you imagine when you think of what the house, like what the Kasukabe house is in the countryside, like that I think is a archetype for like rural Japan, like outside of the major cities like Tokyo and Kyoto and Osaka. And I think that, you know, obviously there's complications with that, I'm sure. And, and that in itself may be its own issue, but I think that Japanese culture certainly like wants to adopt that as, as like an other side of the coin of like the very urban Tokyo lifestyle. And I think that they've embraced the setting, not just the character and spirituality of Totoro. And I think that's also something that sort of pushes this movie into the position that it is, at least in Japanese culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, Scott, also you talked about it up, up front, but I think being possibly the entry point into Miyazaki for a lot of people, kids in particular, sure. um, 
is a reason why and you know maybe as a kid you watch the movie and it's like you just latch on to the the cool creatures and but then you know as you continue to watch it you probably start to get more out of it as you get older uh i mean i watched it you and i was 25 for the first time and then watched it just now when i was 28 and i feel like i got more out of it the second time so uh, i can only imagine if you like grew up on this movie and um rewatched it a lot over the years that um it's gonna it's gonna grow and you know it's just such a nice peaceful movie like you feel like you can just throw it on anytime and um again as thinking thinking ahead to like being a parent you know there's probably going to be so many kids movies and shows and stuff like that that you're going to be like oh like we want to put this on again it's going to be you know paw patrol or whatever for the 400th time gotta get him to bluey uh, she gotta push him toward bluey i heard that's one of the yeah ones. yeah i've heard that as well um but you know this feels like the type of thing where it's like oh yeah i can put this on Maybe like, I don't sorry, know Scott Jr., you're going to have to watch Totoro for the 90th time, whether you <laughs> like it or not. Get used to it. Maybe uh, maybe I don't even want to watch it, but, like, you know, it's not going to be obnoxious sure. uh, coming sure. from the TV uh, because it is such a No, you're just going to get the song movie. stuck in your head and your kid your kid's going to be running oh, around man. the house screaming that, and then you're going to hate yeah. it forever. You know, I never want to hear this if my kid, song again. If, if my kid wants to have a Totoro toy, they will have a Totoro toy, and I'll be very proud of them. For <laughs> I will asking. raise heaven and earth to find a Totoro toy for them. <laughs> I'm sure it will be that difficult. Uh, no, but no, not at all. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think that's add? like one of the uh, the grand luxuries of of the film is just that you know I watched it for the first time when I was like 18 or 19 and co- like at the very beginning of college, and like I said earlier, like I didn't really get a ton out of it. I watched it again a few years back, like probably like during COVID. And I think I watched it again for a second time. And then this year I've now watched it twice. I didn't talk about this again. I saw this earlier this year in LA at the Academy Museum and they're like very, very nice brand new theater there uh, on. I didn't realize this when I bought a ticket to it, but it was like, I guess on Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings, they have like a kid's morning. Like they have kids activities where they have, again, a variety of activities for children, and it is concluded, like the morning activities are concluded with watching a film in, in David Geffen Hall. So it's like a, it's like a sensory friendly movie where they like keep the volume very flat. Some of the house lights stay on. Not my preferred way to watch a movie, I will say, like kids running down up and like across the aisles. It's like, again, it's very kid focused, very kid friendly screening. Not my preferred way of watching a movie, but I watched this and I was like, even with all these brat kids around here running around the theater, like it's a damn playground, like the film is still a great time. So much so that I'm not bothered at all that I'm now watching the movie again, you know, five to six months, I guess six months later for a second time and and just as long. And I liked it even more on this fourth watch. It just it's it's sort of it is. I think it is really special in that sense that it really does feel like I get a stronger and stronger and warmer and warmer connection to it every time I see it. And I do think part of that's growing out of this sort of middle of life phase, middle life, such a stupid thing to call college years. But like, I kind of feel like colleges would be like the worst time to watch this movie for the first time. Not that you can't enjoy the movie in college, but like just like so little appreciation, I think for a lot of the things that are happening, but as an, you know, as not like I'm old now, but like as I've grown older, you know, over the last 10 years, it's changed. I, my view on it has changed and changed a lot. We're all growing older by the minute. Um, look, look, I don't want to say that I started college 10 years ago, but I started college 10 years ago. And that really freaks me out these days. We <laughs> I don't like that. that. That's tough. That That is a tough realization right there. Yeah. Um, on that note, if there's uh, if there's nothing else to add from you guys, I think we can move into the wrap up for Total. Sorry, Rock. I'm like really going through it now because I didn't. I really just put those <laughs> numbers together live, and that's not that's not good for me. I don't like. Yeah, that. I don't think I had I had thought about it in that particular way before. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I ruined your day as well. I had dinner with a friend from since I've known I've known since middle school last week and he was telling me how it's been and i quote decades since he's seen like a white castle or something and i'm like decades and i'm like oh that means we were seven that that actually makes sense and i hated that yeah 
So we can all just revel in this and be sad I saw, together. Where did yeah. I see a White Castle? I saw a White Castle. Oh, oh, I saw it. Must have been in. It must have been. In it was Mexico. actually right by. Yeah, it's. It was where you were. That's where we were. Um, what? On like Thirty Fourth Street, right? Oh, I'm talking. Yeah. I was in Nashville this weekend. Oh, you, I, I think you said that today. Feels, you were down that in that area for work. I just, that's where I saw. That it. Feels, Never mind. Moving on. That feels traitorous that they would have a White Castle in Nashville instead of a Crystal. I mean, Crystal is a fine Tennessee company. Um, is it? That is, is that still? Does it? Is it? Does it? Is it still a Tennessee company? Is it still? In it business? is. Okay. It is. Yeah. I think. That, I mean, to be fair, I'm sure Nashville has both Crystal and White Castle. Probably. Yeah. Probably. I just, you know, why start a turf war? Um, you know. In, I'm sure. In, I'm sure White Castle asked the same question because I'm sure they've been around longer. Why start a turf war, Crystal? <laughs> fair enough. On that note, uh, favorite scene or moment from uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Jay. I mean, for me, it has to be the bus stop. Like, they're, you know, and we, we didn't touch on this very specific detail, right? But when Totoro's just, like, playing with the umbrella and the water's, the water's just, like, bouncing up and down and the sheer delight he's getting out of it, you know, before ultimately calling the cat bus and then stealing the umbrella, it just, it was yeah, so dirty, dirty funny. little thief. Yeah. Grand just... theft Totoro <laughs> over here. I yeah I again I didn't know what I was watching but I was having a really good time with it um yeah what did you think was gonna approach this the second time so when the cat bus leaves did you think then there was gonna be a normal like when you saw the lights in the distance for the next bus did you think it was gonna be a normal bus or did you think it was gonna be something else I think I thought it was going to be the bus bringing their dad right like they're they had their little adventure with the Totoro and helped them pass the time like hopefully now you know it's just their dad's bus late but like it's their dad's bus and they can go mm -hmm. home yeah i mean that's the nice thing right it's like it obviously is a fantasy film as scott was as scott was you know reiterating earlier but it's like there is this sort of uncanniness right it's like there's a spirituality and a fantastical element to it but it's still it's not like we're talking castle in the sky with a floating castle or you know Kiki's Delivery Service, which is about a witch who can fly on a broomstick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it is still extremely grounded in its presentation, in spite of these very fantastical elements. There's these moments of, like, real fantasy that happen with Totoro, with the other spirits, with growing the tree and spinning away on this magical top that flies him to the top of the forest or whatever. Like, there's all these, like, very hardcore, like, fantasy elements, but then it just sort of seamlessly transitions back into quote-unquote reality which i think is a real interesting part also that scene i was looking up some of like the animation like some details about the animation i don't know if you guys saw any of this they did something different to make the rain feel like softer so like rather than drawing the rain onto the cells that were then placed into the animation they scratched them into the cells where and that, and that somehow gives like a softer appearance um to the rain which i was like oh cool that's interesting pretty cool again not a not an animated animation expert here to know how revolutionary or different that was at the time but i was like interesting you're scratching it into the cell frame as opposed to drawing it onto the that's intense yeah scott have you ever seen a moment yeah i i mean honestly i really love the beginning of this film i think that this whole I think one of, I can't remember which of you, I apologize. I think maybe it was Jay at the beginning talking about like kids not really acting this way these days, but they're like exploring the house. They're going around. They're like finding the, trying to find the stairs to go up into you know, the second floor. And they're, it is sort of, the, it just, there's this really awesome emotional balance of like, we have to find out what's going on with these the, these like soot gremlins or these or these spirits these house spirits that are hiding from us and like it's like almost like a hide and seek type environment but also as sort of the the beautiful balance of this activity it's like it's also kind of scary right like obviously nothing we like we as the viewer know nothing bad is going to happen but there's this really interesting tension of like they're going to go up these stairs and we know the soot spirits are up there and we know that it's kind of scary because we don't know exactly what that means, but there's this sense of like adventure and like desire to, to learn more. And I think that the whole sequence of them exploring the house 
immediately sets the tone for the adventure as even soft as it may be the adventure that we're going to have for the entire film as these as you learn more about these kids and their family and you know their the journey that they're going on so i love that opening sort of that tone setting scene in the house at the beginning and i think you know the for me the emotional payoff scene of um the corn the, the cat bus coming and rescuing yeah. may um just the relief that you feel sure. e even though you you kind of know that everything's going to be okay it, it doesn't by that point in the movie it, i think like any any of the fears that jay was talking about early on about it's not that kind of movie you know that turn, no, see, right. that, yeah that's you, my, you know my one complaint was like when when they do this scene where the town's looking for her and then they find like the, the slipper or like the, the you know, <laughs> sure the i'm like that is so dark guys like what are we doing it's real oh. shame that they never even realized that one of the another kid in the town did die in the like many years ago. I mean, not even that too, but like then you know when once they were rescued by the the Totoro and the cat bus, like who went and told the other people in the town? Oh yeah, we found the kid. Like you know, she's not lost anymore. I don't know. I was like, this got so dark so fast. My fears were not alleviated. I did not. I mean, I I knew everything was gonna be okay, but you were putting me through the ringer to get there. I don't know. Sorry. Didn't mean to take away from your favorite. The, the payoff was great. Yeah, he just you negged your me... favorite scene. What's no, your no, response, no, no. Scott? I negged the scene leading up to his favorite scene. It, it put me through a lot. I'm glad that there. we I'm glad that we got to the bottom of Jay's like complaint about the movie. Though. Honestly, yeah, so. that's just like corporate America, Jay, like having to hedge anytime. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I, I said, being, I loved it. I have to be like, I loved you know, almost all of it. I can't just be like, it was amazing. I think Scott Shelton has had this problem before, too. I have been, I think I have been accused of doing the same thing before in the past. It's, it's specifically the cat bus element, because I just, the actual emotional pain of us is she's putting the corn on the windowsill, right? Right, yeah, and and they look at it. That's and really like, beautiful. I mean, that is like- They're like, oh, it's thing. corn. And the mom's like, I think I saw Satsuki and May out there. Yeah, that it is. And that it, goes it back to the father different. point earlier, too, because this is another point where I'm just like, this father just rocks. Like, I love this guy. He's like, you're probably right. And it's just like, I would never say that. In that situation, I'd be like, no, you, how the hell is that possible? There's no way. What are you talking about? And I think that's cool. I don't know. I think that's cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. He yeah. has he has patience beyond all understanding, I think sure. is what we're saying. Honestly, but. she does too, though. Like, shout out to the mom for a sec. Like, you know, she's like in the hospital, hasn't seen her kids in forever. And they're all like, you know, we live in a haunted house. And she's like. You're so That's lucky. Nice. That was yeah. like, you know, I That's always nice. wanted to live in a haunted house. Like, yeah. if I had some sort of disease, minor or not, that like kept me in the hospital for that long. Well, it's definitely not minor. Me. It's definitely not a minor disease. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, That's for sure. You know, life-threatening or not, I guess we'll yeah. say. Like, you know, I don't think I would have been nearly as just like happy. And she was all, you know, I hope you're having fun spoiling them because, you know, once I'm better, like... I'm going to spoil them. I'd be like, shoot, like, you know, I'm y'all are going to spoil me once I get home. I've been through the ringer. All right. So your score, Jay, out of 10 uh, for my neighbor, Totoro. It is a 9.2. It is a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah, brother. 9.5. Uh, it's an 8.7 for me. I love the movie. Um, it, I understand why it's a classic. There's an even better movie to come. Spoiler alert. Uh, I'm sorry. That'll that do it. Because for... there's another movie to come. We have to rank this lower than it deserves. I, I, no, I'm sorry. No, that I, 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 it's, it's not fair to compare them, but like I, I can't help but compare them in my head. I think the the next movie just does an even better job for me of like connecting that fantasy to the real world. You guys are movie dropping movie. so many story elements about this next movie. Story yeah. elements? Or just like, just like there aren't, pieces. there isn't know. much story in this movie. Yeah. You're, I, I, I'm just Either. getting bits and pieces. Y'all gotta chill. <laughs> I haven't seen these. I don't want to know anything. It won't ruin it for you. Trust trust me. But anyway, we should probably just conclude then. Um, okay. That should do it for this episode. It's really, what's crazy, Jay, is that Snape kills Dumbledore in the next movie, <laughs> which is pretty wild. It's like crazy that that happens. One of the biggest, one of the biggest spoilers in movie history right there mm -hmm. top three i was gonna say we hope you've enjoyed this episode but that might have just ruined it for you but you know uh maybe if sure. it did ruin it for you you can go to our patreon page and let us know how it ruined it for you but uh or yeah. while you're over there you could also just you know sign up for the patreon it's patreon.com slash media plug pods 
Um, don't forget also about Some Like It, Scott, our main podcast right here in the same feed where you uh, where you listen to this podcast, new movie reviews every week. And of course, we hope that you'll be back for our next episode of The Countdown. Uh, we've been teasing it all episode, like Jay just said, but next time out, we're going to be talking about the movie that uh, Miyazaki made just one year after My Neighbor Totoro, the coming-of-age fantasy Kiki's Delivery Service. But until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.